Life with diabetes has some highs and lows, but just like in a normal life, you can make choices which help to make your life easier, improve your health and well-being. In the Diabetic and Healthy podcast, we show you how to do just that. We're here to help you put your diabetes worries behind so that you can start enjoying life with a sky-high smile on your face. So let's meet our host for today's show. Here's Charlotte. Hello and Happy New Year, everyone. A big, big Happy New Year from Diabetic and Healthy. Uh, This is the first episode of 2021. If you uh, were a listener last year, thank you so much. And if you are new, thank you for coming and checking this podcast out. I really hope you enjoy it. I've got the most incredible interview for you today. So a great one to start the year off. Before I tell you about that, just a quick reminder about social media. Diabetic and Healthy is on Facebook. So we have a Facebook page and we also have two Facebook groups, Diabetic and Healthy Community and also Type 1 Fit. Diabetic and Healthy is also on Instagram, share lots of um, fitness and nutrition and just general kind of diabetes tips and info on there. That's diabetic underscore and underscore healthy. And of course, there's a podcast that you're listening to now. Please do hit subscribe and that way you will never miss a show. Okay, so today's interview is with an amazing guy called Brandon. Um, Brandon lives in California and I don't even want to tell you that much because he tells his story so beautifully. Um, I think I'm just going to let you uh, let you listen to everything that he has got to say but trust me you will not be disappointed. This is just the most inspiring story. So here's Brandon. Hi Brandon, how are you? I am great. Thank you. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for agreeing to do this. And I will let our listeners know that it is currently 3 a.m. where you are. So that's, uh, that's dedication there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's bright and early, but I am happy to be here. And, and thank you for having me on. Oh, you are very welcome. So you have... You have an amazing story and your story started very early on in your life because you were diagnosed at three years old with type one. Yeah, that's correct. Um, So I guess you don't have that many memories of being three years old, but what is your, what's your kind of earliest memory of you and diabetes? What, what can you remember? The earliest memory I have is um, being diagnosed and my parents had taken me to the hospital, and this was in 1987. And, and so like this was you know, way back in the day. It was, it's it, when I was born. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's you know it's just it's it, it's it's I I just turned 36. So like it it, it was a different. Everything was just done differently back mm-hmm. then. But I was taken back. This is what I remember. I was taken back from my parents, and then I was held down by two people to get blood drawn and that's and then I spent two nights in the hospital and that's what I remember about being diagnosed as a diabetic so a pretty traumatic first memory yeah it's it's (laughs) traumatic and I still hate getting my blood drawn to this day not because it hurts but because of that you've been traumatized (laughs) yeah 
I was traumatized, but that's, that's like, the, that's my earliest memory of, of diabetes um, mm-hmm. is, is that experience. So I'm guessing your parents had obviously picked up on stuff and that's how you ended in the hospital in the first place. Yeah. I think it's like every, a lot, like almost every person's journey with diabetes is everything is normal suddenly you become lethargic you get super thirsty there's something wrong you don't really catch on right away but mm-hmm. like other people notice or or by the time you notice it's, <laughs> it's a problem yeah and uh, my parents picked up on it pretty quick i became a just a fun kid always up for anything to a lethargic drinking tons and tons of water mm-hmm. um type of a kid and they knew something was was wrong and so yeah that that's kind of that those are the tall tale signs for me yeah and did did your parents know anything about diabetes when you were diagnosed did, is there any other diabetes in the family anything like that no so i drew the lucky straw and uh they didn't know anything about it and and so it was one of those things where it was reliant upon the the doctors and nurses um to to help them understand and then i was i'm very fortunate to have parents who took it very seriously Mm -hmm. and really took control to help me have the best uh childhood that i can with diabetes like Mm -hmm. instead of being the kid with diabetes i was a kid that had parents who helped who helped control my diabetes yeah and that's i mean obviously at that age that is exactly what you need and it makes all the difference but they they took it for what it is you know it's a serious condition and you got to stay on top of it Yeah, and, and you know, and I really, you know, looking back on it too, it, I never did I think like something was wrong with me or that I had this illness and that I was stricken with it or like I was cursed or mm-hmm. anything like that. It was, it was always, it was just, it was a part of me and it, yeah. was, it became a part of life so quickly mm-hmm. that it, it, it was second nature. Mm-hmm. And even though I had the, like the highs and low blood sugars as a kid and the types of insulins were much different and there were no CGMs or insulin pumps and, and any of that kind of stuff. Um, we made do and mm-hmm. it, it's kind of crazy like looking back at it and thinking of all this, the, the times where I was low and, and, uh, diet your diet had to be way more restricted back mm. then because there it wasn't it wasn't based on carb counting it was it, the the insulin was 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 just different it was it was called r and n or nph so there were just like two types of these insulins that you would take mm-hmm. and if you didn't eat if you did not eat enough food your insulin would be too low and then if your ins and then if your blood sugar ended up being too high it was and you had um you didn't want to overlap your insulin. So like, it was a completely different mm. way. Of, so you of were, you were having to eat around your insulin. Whereas now we're like, we're working our insulin around what we want to eat. But I suppose it was, it was backwards back then. Yeah. It was kind of like, I li- I had to live my lifestyle according to the insulin as mm-hmm. opposed to nowadays you, <laughs> you uh, manage your insulin according to your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. 
Um, and when did you start kind of doing injections yourself and things like that? Because I'm assuming at, at three years old, your, your parents were kind of controlling that part of it for you. Yeah, the exact age, I don't remember, but it was pretty young. I, like, I was, as a kid and always my whole life, I'm the type of person who is, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. Like, don't worry about it type of a person. Mm -hmm. So when I was able to start really testing my own blood sugar, I would say like consistently by age five, I, I, everything was, was in my own hands. Mm -hmm. um, and by that time, I had even gone to a diabetic camp where it was the first time that I had met other diabetics. Yeah. And they really like, they taught you different things like how to do your own injections in your arm. And like, it was where I learned how to like use my, my knee and put your arm on your knee to, to pinch the skin and put it in the arm and, and stuff <laughs> like that. Where it was, the doctor never really showed me that they showed me how to do it in my thigh. And, and so it was, it, it was a big eye opening and learning experience to see how other people were doing injections and how they would test their blood and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, from a really, from a pretty young age, I, I had control or I, I controlled what I, what I assumed controlled my, my, my diabetes and injections and, and testing my blood and stuff like that. But um, it, my parents always, wherever we go and, um, whatever we ended up doing, they always would, um, uh, kept all my stuff in a caboodle. I don't know if you remember what those are, but yeah, it was, <laughs> I kept all my stuff in this caboodle that we, that I, that I would take everywhere with me because it had all my supplies in it and the insulin had to be refrigerated at all times back then. Oh, so okay. there was like this little ice, this little ice box thing that we would take with me. And so it was like my, my little medical kit that went everywhere with me. And my like my mom always made sure like we had that, but it was pretty nice. Like I, I I can't complain. Like I say nice in the in the words. Like it wasn't all that hard in 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 controlling it as a mm -hmm. kid, as a kid because I had supportive parents and I I took control over it. I owned it. Mm -hmm. And did you, you said at at no time did you feel like you hadn't like an, you didn't think of it as an illness? It was just part of you. Did you? Were there any times when you did actually get ill with it as a child? Like, did you have any DKA or, you know, become unwell with something else and then your blood sugars went crazy? Like, can you remember times when it was really, really hard? You know, I've never, I had never been hospitalized for diabetes. Um, I never had DKA. The only issue that I would run into and this is kind of a running theme in my life is, is hypoglycemia, the low blood sugars. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know what the preferred term is that you use. Yeah. We just say hypo. <laughs> yeah. The hypos were, um, always, always an issue because a lot of times you, you get the feeling that they're coming on and you are like, Oh, I need to drink some juice. I need to eat some candy. Let me eat some food. Mm -hmm. And when you're young, you miss some of those um, early signs. And so it would be kind of like I would start dozing off or um, 
you know drifting off mentally and mm-hmm. things like that so, so it'd be getting a and, lot lower before you were getting those or noticing those warning signs exactly and so what was what was neat is that my parents um and i grew up on a farm and so i was always active um i played sports as a kid like i played every sport as a kid but what would what we ended up doing was that like um, if I was out on the farm and stuff like that, my dad or my mom was always around watching mm-hmm. me. It wasn't always like, it, like I was alone. If I played sports, my dad was always the coach um, to keep an eye on me. And then every time it, there was a break, I would have oranges that I was eating. And just to, just to always keep that blood sugar up because mm-hmm. we never wanted wanted it to go down and so like the worst thing that i would say i never had been hospitalized but as a kid glucagon was used probably more than average on me just because that's how my body react Mm -hmm. and reacted and so that was those are probably like the worst things that i that i could that i can recall Um, and probably one of the scariest for your parents, I'd imagine. <laughs> like that's got to be quite stressful, especially once you're off and you're at school and you're not somewhere that that you know able to keep an eye in the same way. Um, I mean, as a as a mum myself, I I honestly can't imagine <laughs> how much I would worry. Oh yeah, and like uh, it's it's interesting because like if I if when I talk to my parents now about like as a kid and stuff like that like they got they have unlimited stories about times that my blood sugar would go low and they're like all of a sudden you and then you locked yourself in a bathroom and one time like you know one time like we couldn't find you because when you're you know when you go hypo it's like your your brain doesn't yeah it's it's somewhere else isn't it (laughs) yeah and so it is it's 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 a it's quite interesting to hear all the stories and i'm like well i don't remember any yeah Yeah, it hasn't affected me (laughs) your poor parents (laughs) i know but they, um, they took very good care of me and I, and I give them full credit for being awesome parents that never made me feel different and always made sure that I was included. Cause even, um, you know, I mean, as a kid, when you're in school, you have birthday parties and, and parents bring cupcakes for their kids or mm-hmm. some kind of treat. Right. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to eat it because there wasn't the carb counting and, mm-hmm. and the insulin pumps and all that kind of stuff. So what we did have back then were um, sugar-free cookies that my mom could make or angel food cake, which is what we, you know, it has the least amount of sugar that there is. And like there was one type of sugar-free ice cream at the store, vanilla ice cream <laughs> at the store that we bought. So it was, or, or sugar-free jello. Yeah. And so in order for me not to feel left out, my mom would always make sure that there was an alternative show for you. up. Yeah, for me there. So it wasn't, I never felt left out because of it. And, yeah. and I think that that's pretty amazing as parents that they went through so much effort to to, to get me to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I recognize it and I see it now. But at the time, it was just like, oh, you know, I, I had my own, my, my special thing that I could eat. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and 
and I, you know, I always felt included and a part of it. I, ne- I never felt the exclusion aspect of it. And what about at school? Was that, you know, kids, kids are strange, like, you know, <laughs> kids are strange creatures. <laughs> was there any bullying or did people think it was really cool? Like, you know, what was, what, what, what other kids take on it? So the only people who really knew that I was a diabetic were the teachers and administration. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, uh, diabetes, I mean, even to this day, it's so misunderstood that it, that it, there's this connotation that there's something wrong with you, mm-hmm. that you've done something wrong to, and you've created this mess for yourself. And that's kind of how it is as a kid. When you tell people that you're diabetic, they just think, well, something is wrong with you. What, 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 what did you do? To you? <laughs> yeah. What did you do? Like you, you're the, you're a, you're a liability. Get away yeah. from me. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I did, I, it wasn't something I wore on my sleeve. It, um, if I was low, they really didn't understand. It was just, Oh, you know, I, I was acting weird. But there was always an adult who knew about it, but I kept it very close. I kept my, those um, cards very close to my chest because it, it didn't benefit me to have others know that I was a diabetic. It was more detrimental. Mm-hmm. Um, because of and how I it's think perceived. That because of how it's perceived. And even as a young kid, um, and growing up, I, I recognized that. Mm. And that, and that started to change once insulin pumps came out, when you would see them, even though I would try to hide them and stuff, people would still ask. And I think that that's kind of when the dynamic changed a little bit because it became more public mm-hmm. and not that, not that the whole attitude changed, but the perception of, oh, wow, there are people who are completely normal who have this device connected to them yeah. and, and doing all this it, stuff that we don't even realize. <laughs> exactly. They're living a normal life and they got to do all these things and their things going off and beeping. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I think that that really kind of changed the perspective uh, from it being like, Oh, poor you. And you know, there's something just not quite right to, Oh, Wow. Uh, you're accomplishing these great things. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. So, I, I, those I, in terms of people knowing, um, people knew a uh, very long time when I was growing up. So, what what age were you when you got a pump? I was 16. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and that's when they and that's when they kind of first started coming out. Um, I think it was the second generation of the pumps that I got. Um, and I was on that, I had that pump for six years. It was the med, one of the Medtronic mini med ones. Mm-hmm. And then I remember they came out with a new one and I had a choice cause they were five, they were about $5,000 and I could get the new one cause the old one wouldn't work, work anymore. And then I went back to injections for a while and then I got the new pump for a while and then I went back to the injections <laughs> for a while. And I, you know, I would kind of switch back and forth because mm-hmm. you, I, sometimes you get sick of the, of that, of that pump and, and uh, what would bother me the most is the tubing. I, it, I, 
nine times out of 10, I would end up pulling it out. And that's just because I, 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 of activities and I was always like doing something. And, Mm -hmm. and so it kind of became more of a pain to me than it was just a quick do an an injection. And my diabetes was so well controlled either way. I was going to say, did you, did you notice a big difference in control, but no, I didn't. Um, I think the novelty of it was pretty was pretty cool right away. But once that wore away, it was I, I had the same control with injections uh, and carb counting that mm-hmm. I did with the insulin pump. So it didn't matter to me whether I was on it or not. Like it, it wasn't like I had way better control on it or mm-hmm. way better control off of it. It was the same. Yeah. And so um, it was easier for me not to use the pump for a long time. So your control was really good, but I know you, at some stage, you obviously started to run into some complications. So what, what happened there? Yeah. So I, I was an extremely well controlled to a diabetic to the point where my endocrinologist told me I, I really didn't need to come in unless I needed something. <laughs> I didn't need <laughs> to keep just an eye on you. My, yeah, we'll yeah. just, we'll run your blood work. And if anything comes up, we'll call you in. Otherwise, we'll keep your um, uh, medication and all your prescriptions filled. Mm-hmm. And because we wish all diabetics were like you. You just, you take care of yourself. You eat well. You live a, you, you live a healthy lifestyle. Your blood sugar is so well controlled. You, you know, your A1C is perfect. And like, they were always worried, like, don't get it any lower. And it wasn't like I had this goal of having the perfect blood sugar. It was just, I think I was so used to the regimen of being a diabetic and, and, and kind of eating the same things and taking mm-hmm. the same amount of insulin and, and knowing how my body would react and yeah. doing all those types of things. I suppose so anything, what changed almost was a, all of a sudden. Sorry, I was gonna, just going to say it's almost a benefit that you got it so young, <laughs> like that you just grew up with it and it was all second nature. Yeah, and I and I'll definitely say that um, individuals, it, it, it's it's sad. So I mean, d- being diagnosed young, it's just sad because it it, it it it's so unfair, right? Because you're young, you don't know what's going on, you have to learn. Um, but it becomes so ingrained in your life that you don't know any different. Mm-hmm. And um, when you are diagnosed later in life, you know, in your early teens and all that kind of stuff, it, it's, you have to completely change your world upside down. Mm-hmm. Every, everything changes. And I think that it's very hard to, to change that aspect of it. So it's definitely easier to be diagnosed at a younger age than it is older. I would, I, I would say that for sure. Like there's a, there's a benefit to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it's, it's not fun either way, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll say that. And then, so yeah, I was, so yeah, so like I was well controlled until my late twenties. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I suddenly had this really terrible pain in my left flank and I was like, ah, it'll go away. I went on a hike, 
or I, you know, I, I heard it working out or, or doing something. And, um, and as a diabetic, you just, I think you just get a higher pain tolerance just mm-hmm. in general, because with, with the, with the higher and, and the, the, and low blood sugars, you know, you're just used to your body fluctuating <laughs> and you just get over things quicker. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem was that this pain never went away. It just got worse and worse and worse. And so I finally went to the hospital and it turned out that I had two kidney so- stones the size of my thumbnail in my left kidney. Oh. And they didn't know what caused them. They didn't know why they were there. They didn't know why there were two of them. They didn't know why they were so big. But they said, you're septic and we have to go in and remove them. Mm-hmm. So they went in and they removed the kidney stones and uh, said, okay, well, everything, everything is good to go. It was completely non-diabetic related. It was just something that my body did. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the type of kidney stones that they didn't really have a, a direct cause. Mm-hmm. Um, um, like they can test the kidney stone and tell you, oh, they're calcium or, oh, they're oxalate or whatever it is. And you can control your diet to help minimize it and those mm-hmm. types of And they couldn't tell. So it was just like a fluke thing. And as soon as that happened with my kidney, I, my control of diabetes changed and it went from me being well controlled to me starting to have more and more more hypos um so like six months to a year they were just starting happening more and more and i really didn't notice how bad or how many hypos i had were having until i was at work and I went to, to grab the, I could feel myself going low mm. and I went to grab the juice out of my, my briefcase and it was gone. And then I went my backup candy and it was gone. And I ran to my car to go grab my, my extras in there mm-hmm. and they were gone. You and I was like, I have never ran out of, even realizing. I have, ne- yeah, I've never had that happen in my life. And so that was kind of like the sign that something really was wrong. Something was, something was going on that I wasn't aware of. And it, it, it all started with the, that, the kidney stones. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what I tie it back to. The doctors can't directly correlate it, but that's the only thing in my life that changed. Mm-hmm. And so I went from being a well-controlled diabetic to a brittle diabetic. I took them about two and a half years to diagnose me as a brittle diabetic. And that was after being um, pronounced, technically pronounced dead twice, but they were able to get me back and resuscitate me. And that was that was after, yep, from low, from, um, and that was after having countless times of the emergency personnel waking up because other people found me passed out and and, um you know and i have just got countless stories of just me not remembering days and and events and and all that kind of stuff because of hypos and so finally they were able to diagnose me as a, a brittle diabetic, which means that you can't control your blood sugar no matter what you do. Your body mm-hmm. just doesn't respond correctly. 
and hypoglycemia unawareness because I couldn't feel it coming on. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with a, with a CGM, um, by the time it would alert me, I would, the, the hypo would happen so quickly that by the time my CGM could alert me mentally, I was ready. I was already too far gone to catch mm-hmm. on. And so, so it wouldn't be able to catch going, on the trends or anything. Sorry, were you still going high? Were you still getting hyper? Well, not necessarily hyper, but were you still getting spikes at this point or was it just running very low all the time? So I would get spikes because what I would do is when I would have a hypo, I would drink all the juice and, and eat more food, mm-hmm. which would spike. Mm-hmm. But the, but the trick was I wouldn't you know I wouldn't take insulin. I would I I wanted you my just blood sugar to be high. That was the, yeah, and and that was the goal. But the problem was it would do that, and then immediately it would just crash again. Drop back off, and it, it, I didn't have it. It would just go back off, and it wasn't like I had I didn't have any extra insulin in my body. I, 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 it, we couldn't, the, the, the problem was we couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. We didn't know if it, if it was that my stomach had a type of gastroparesis that wasn't digesting food correctly. So I wasn't getting the, um, the carb carbohydrates being transferred in, into sugar because the insulin wasn't, wasn't connecting correctly. Or if it was because my kidney was messed up and the insulin wasn't being processed correctly, um, or if it was insulin antibodies that were preventing the insulin from being used correctly. And the theories were just, were just crazy. Mm. But to me, it was like, just tell me like, what's going on and let's get to the bottom of it and fix it. And so it, was, it, just, it became going from me having such good control over my diabetes to diabetes now having complete control over me and every single thing that I did in life. Mm-hmm. And it, it got really scary because I'd be afraid to go to sleep at night because I wouldn't know if I would wake up. I was just going to say, I'd be so scared um, at night or like, were you able to drive? I was able to drive, but after, um, after about a year and a half, where I would have to, I, I, I would get lost. <laughs> All of a sudden, I would come to, and I would just be like, "Where am I driving?" Where I don't even know yeah, where I'm at. Your brain you know, has just gone of off stuff. into hypo mode. <laughs> yep, I had to. I had to stop driving. I had to stop working, and that's when it became a full time job to figure out what was wrong with me and what was causing this, mm. and what I could do to fix it. Because, gosh darn it, for you know twenty eight years everything was well controlled and now all of a sudden everything is messed up what Mm -hmm. what is going on and why can't doctors tell me anything and um one of the things that they kept saying was that well you just need to eat more complex carbohydrates before bed just to have yourself a graham cracker and peanut butter and I'm like, do you really think that that is the thing that's going to fix you? That's going to fix And this? so I was like, you know, I will. Yeah. But, you know, but it turned out like before bed, I would drink, I call it Gatorade. Um, uh, 
I don't know if you guys have Gatorade, but it, it's it's sports drink. And, yeah, and yeah, it it's has, like a, it's a bit uh, like Lucasade. Yeah, and it, and it has the sugar in there, and mm-hmm. so I would drink an an entire bottle of that before bed to try to prevent myself from from having a hypo, and it was like a flip of a coin. I would either not wake up because my blood sugar was too low, or I would wake up and I would just. I would just be running high. Mm. And so I never knew how my body would respond. There was no rhyme or reason. And that's when that brittle, that brittle diabetic comes into place because you never know what, what your body is going to do. And it's scary because mm. when you don't know what your body is going to do, your mind goes to all the terrible places. And, um, Especially when you you know you wake up and you have all the medical medical personnel above you saying, "Hey, um, you're, we can't even read your blood sugar on the meter because it's reading low." And how did you get to this place? And I'm just like, I don't know. You tell me. I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I didn't do it to myself. It's it's my body not. Um, regulating it correctly the doctors can't tell me and i'm just trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. and so it became like my purpose in life to go doctor shopping and i went to every single doctor you could possibly think of just to try to figure out like was it a different disease was it a different autoimmune disorder was it completely something unrelated like what what could have what have what could have been causing this Mm -hmm. and um it all kind of came back to that the, the kidney issue because that's when it all started. Mm. So did, did you find one doctor who was like, yeah, absolutely. I agree. It, it was to do with the kidney stones. Yeah, kind of. Cause no one wants to like say directly mm. um, cause there really isn't like the, a right answer. But what, what ended up happening was I made an appointment with a new doctor that I had never seen before. And in, here in the United States, it's, there's a long, you have to wait months, like it's three to six months before you can, you can see a new doctor. And so I, would, I had all these appointments made and I would go see them. And I was like, that was a waste of time. That was a complete waste of time. Finally, I went and I saw this doctor that I had an appointment with. And she came in and she just sat down and she was like, your body just no longer functions correctly. I've seen this in a few of my patients before. Um, It could be from your kidney. And like she named all those things. It could be because of gastroparesis. It could be just that your body just can't process insulin anymore. It can be because of insulin antibodies. But she goes, all of that stuff is not fixable. Those are all things that in the medical field, we do not have control over because your body isn't functioning correctly. And so the only way to repair what you're going through and to give you your life back is to have a pancreas only transplant. And then she went on to say that I would have less than two years to live if I didn't have the transplant because having that many hypos is so damaging to your body, your mm-hmm. organs, your mind, because <laughs> yeah. every time it shut completely down and then it has to restart and your body's not meant to do that. And she also said that the next hypo or low blood sugar that I had would likely be my last. 
So I would need to beg, borrow, and steal and do everything that I possibly could to get this transplant or I was just simply going to waste away and die. What did you you feel at that point? I felt a fire being lit under my ass to, to get this transplant because it was the first time I received a definitive answer of something that would solve the issue that I was having. And um, of course I had like millions of questions like, but, but, but what about this? And what about that? And she just said, everything will be answered but you need to get to a transplant hospital and they'll explain, you know, what exactly will happen and how that works. Um, and then here in the United States, it's really unfortunate because we have what is known as the affordable care act. And that is our standard of health care. And it was passed and it's, and it's very good for people with preexisting conditions because before this was passed in 2015, if you had a pre-existing condition as a diabetic, mm. you couldn't get health coverage. You were denied. So you'd oh. have to pay cash for everything. So when it was passed, it was great because you could get health insurance and get health coverage. You'd still have to pay money, but it was much less than having to pay cash for everything. Mm-hmm. But within it um, is written that a pancreas-only transplant is an optional coverage. And so as an insurance company that's, that is built to make profits off of you and not provide you healthcare coverage that you need to save your life, um, I couldn't get it covered. I it's sued. not beneficial to them to give you. It's not be- <laughs> exactly. It's not beneficial to them. It's going to hurt their pocket. So yeah. they're not going to want it, even though I'm paying for it. So I sued. And I sued the government and all that kind of stuff. And I got, and I, and the final decision was, well, this is medically necessary and we agree that you need it, save your life. We choose not to cover it because it is an optional coverage of the Affordable Care Act. So basically, kind. we agree with you. We need you, but I mean, you need it and we agree with you, but we don't have to cover it. So <laughs> bye, that not be our problem anymore. Yeah. And so then I was left with having to figure out how am I going to pay cash to get this transplant done and when I can't work. Did you know how much work. it would cost at that point? At that point, I didn't know. And so I finally, I had to go to two, after two transplant hospitals denied me healthcare, I mean, denied me coverage because one, I didn't have the money up front and the insurance didn't cover the transplant. Um, Two, I was a high-risk patient because of the hypoglycemia, unawareness, brittle diabetes, mm-hmm. who knew what was going on. And three, um, that kidney that they did surgery on, it, it kept failing and they eventually had to remove it. So I had one kidney removed I and, and so I was a high-risk patient. Mm-hmm. And so finally one of the best hospitals in the United States, it's called Mayo Clinic. Um, they agreed to take me on as a patient, but they said it's $20,000 just to go through the, the, just to go through the process of seeing if you can be a candidate for surgery. And then it's $250,000 upfront 
for us to place you on the list to have to have the transplant surgery. That's a house. <laughs> that's that, that's a house. That's a let you know. That's like a life savings. Yeah. That's I mean that's a lot of money. And and so that's that's when I figured out how much it was, and I had to um, take that in and like I said, that fire was lit under my ass and I was determined through hell or high water to beg, borrow and steal for that money because I, and I still feel this way. I felt that every, you know, life is meant to be lived and I, and I wasn't going to be a victim of this, you know, this kidney stone problem. I wasn't going to let that be the thing that took me out. Mm -hmm. And and I, I, you know, I was too young to let, to let myself be taken out by a hypo. So I was determined to do anything that I could to get this transplant. And so then I went on my journey to try to come up with $250,000 without knowing what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> where, where do you even start? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Where would you start? I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's where I you was. You start looking I was like, around wondering if you've got like <laughs> anything really valuable that you can sell or. Exactly. I was like, okay, I can get rid of my car. I can't, like I was, I was just going through everything, you know? I mean, I had, I had student loan debt because I had just graduated law school. I uh, like, you know, I wasn't working. So it wasn't like I could just get a loan. I didn't own any property. So it's like, I couldn't sell it for money. I, I was just in a place where I wasn't financially stable to afford something like that. And so like I talked and, and again, even at this point in my life, my diabetes was, was very private. People didn't know that I was going through all of this kind of stuff. They knew about like my kidney surgeries, but they didn't think that it was had anything to do with diabetes it mm -hmm. was just I had these crazy kidney stones yeah. and had to have them removed and had to have a bunch of other surgeries and eventually lost my kidney and okay I'm all better um and that wasn't the case and so at the time I was living with a roommate because my blood sugars were so bad and the deal was that the roommate would check on me in the morning if I wasn't up and so, you know, oh, wow. like it was like a check, it was like a check and balance system. Like I had, I literally had a caretaker living with me cause mm -hmm. that's how bad it was. And she said, um, at the time I wasn't on social media at all because I was a high school social studies teacher before I went to law school and the students would stalk me. So I had to delete like all my <laughs> social media and it was just better not having it. And, um, so she goes, I, we need to put you on GoFundMe and share your story with people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, heck no, I'm not doing that. People, I don't, want, I don't want people's sympathy. I don't want them to know that I'm suffering. I have always been uh, well controlled. I could take care of myself. Um, like, like, you know, like it was a pride thing. Yeah. I didn't yeah. want to show, I didn't want to show this vulnerability mm -hmm. that I was now a victim of this disease that I felt like I had conquered for so long. Mm -hmm. And eventually it got to the point of, well, I'm going to die if I don't come up with that money. 
So what do I'm I have to swallow my pride? <laughs> I'm going to stop being stubborn. <laughs> I'm going to swallow my pride. And what do I have to lose by putting, by just writing it out yes. and putting it and, and putting it out to the universe and, and, and seeing what happened. And had it not been for her encouragement to do that and my, my parents' encouragement to do that as well. They're like, they're just like, Brandon, like, seriously, what do you have to lose? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I know death, but also my pride. <laughs> and, um, and, and so it really, you know, and I'm stubborn in that way where it's like, I don't want to ask for help because I can do it on my own mm -hmm. and all, and, and that kind of stuff. But so I became vulnerable and I wrote down exactly what I was going through. I laid the story completely out as to what I, I had been through for so long, what I was going through, what was, you know, the time frame that I was in, where the, where the money would go, all that kind of stuff. And I sent letters to uh, close family members and friends, and we made the um, thing public. And it was just, and it was like, now what? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get back on nothing was, Yeah, nothing was really happening. And nothing happened really until I received an anonymous donation of $20,000. And wow. that was the that was the $20,000 that I needed to start seeing if I could even be a candidate for transplant. And as soon as people saw that I that people actually gave and I was actually, you know, and I was updating it. My, my friend completely had control over it. She was like, okay, what did they say? Let's take a picture and <laughs> let's, let's, let's put it on there, you know, to keep, to keep it updated. Like, you know, mm -hmm. there's a whole like process to do that because it's not normal to just raise $250,000 for a life-saving surgery online. That's just kind of unheard of, you know? And so we started with that. Once they determined that I, I could be a candidate, then it was, it was the ball started really rolling. And within three months, I raised the $250,000 from amazing. friends, family, and strangers from all over. And um, it really changed my perspective on people and the world because I thought that being vulnerable was the, the worst thing that, could have, that I could have ever done. Mm. And it turned out to have been the best thing that I could have ever done. And you know, that's, I would say that's my biggest learning experience with dealing with diabetes is that you, know, you feel very alone, you become isolated, you think people don't understand, but mm -hmm. when you express what you're going through people don't people there are some people that look down at you and and you know and judge you and and you know they're just like they're oh you did the it people, to yourself they're not the people we want anyway <laughs> they're not they're not the people that deserve our time but then there's a lot of people who can relate in their own way and they want to help and they want to support and they want to do even if it's sending positive vibes or praying or, you know, saying, you know, if there's anything that I can do for you, please let me know. Or even, you know, giving financially for a life-saving surgery, they're out there. And it completely, it blew my mind. It changed my perspective. And it, and it showed me that 
my thought about the human people about being so selfish really wasn't true. People care about people. It's just they don't know how to care unless you tell them mm-hmm. what they need to care about. And and so that was a that was a that was an amazing experience that that I and and, tr- and mental transformation that I went through with that aspect. Wow. So what, what so you went ahead and you you got the surgery? Yep. So I gave I gave Mayo Mayo Clinic the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and the financial coordinator who I became very good friends with because it was like one of the one of those like I was really nervous, like you can't forget about me. I'm not going anywhere, you know, and I would check in uh, uh, regularly and I'd be like, Okay, I have this much money and, yeah. and so like when I, when I had the, the money wired over to her, she says, I have never, she goes, I've never seen anyone come up with this much money that fast. How did you do it? Cause she goes, you know, people come from wealth and they just pay for it. But mm. she goes, you had to raise this money, which everyone says that they're going to do, but they can't. Yeah. And, and I was like, I don't know. I got, I just, I got very fortunate. This got shared on social media accordingly. I, I was lucky that I had somebody who knew what they were doing and um, I'm supposed to be alive for a reason. Otherwise this money would not have come. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way I looked at it. Mm-hmm. And so she said, okay, we got the money and I'm, I'm setting you up um, to be listed and you'll be on, you'll be on the, um, transplant list within the next day or two and you can get a call the same day or it can be up to five years and so I was like I was like well you know I am on a time frame and in in terms (laughs) of how long they think I can live so let's see if we can let's see if I can make it that long Mm -hmm. and two months later the day after Christmas in 2018 I received the phone call to come in for transplant and I went in and um, they took me, I was within, I was in surgery within 20 minutes and they did a successful pancreas only transplant. And when I woke up, the first thing I asked was, I mean, the first thing I asked the nurse that was, that was there with me was, was it successful? And she says, I think it's successful because your new organ has your blood sugar at 89. And I wasn't on insulin. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have any juice running through my body. Mm-hmm. It was, it was naturally regulating itself. And, and I don't, I forget what the conversion rate is for you guys, but 89 is basically the normal blood sugar, right? Yeah. That's like the golden blood sugar. Yeah, that yeah. <laughs> yeah. That for us, that's probably around five, I would imagine. But yeah. So, so five, so your blood yeah. sugar is five, right? And it's working and like tears just like, like start rolling down my face because it was the first time in over three years that I wasn't just low because mm-hmm. my average blood sugar was about 2.5 so like like my average blood sugar was here in the in the united states was was in the 40s and so if if like 80 is about five and that's like you're perfect just yeah yeah yeah. half that Mm -hmm. so imagine living with a blood sugar of 2.5 for three years then all of a sudden waking up from a surgery that was successful 
and your blood sugar is normal. Mm. And I felt so good. And I was just like, this is crazy. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. The night and day difference that you, you, you forget when you slowly, when your body and your mind slowly degrade, you forget how, how quickly it feels to feel good. Mm. It's always and, a thing, isn't it? You don't, you just don't, you never know how bad you feel until you then feel good. And you're like, oh yeah, I actually, <laughs> I was feeling pretty bad. Exactly. And you're like, how did I, you know, how did I let it get that bad? But you go into survival mode and you do whatever and you try to start doing whatever it takes. Just, just taking a step backwards slightly. So those, those two months you were waiting for that call, you, what kind of, what kind of mindset were you in? Were you in a positive mindset? Were you thinking this is going to be the day they ring? Or was part of you thinking like this is not going to come in time for me? Both. So, so many people had invested in me to be like, to really, to, to live, mm -hmm. right? And I didn't want to be a letdown and just kind of give up, even though I felt like crap, even though it was a battle. It literally was a battle to survive every day. I was fighting these low blood sugars like, like with no tomorrow. There was nothing I could do to keep, to keep them normal. Mm -hmm. And so I had to – and the, the hypos were so bad that they were, and I was having five to six of them a day and the, the recovery is so bad from a hypo. And so that was my mindset. And so it was just about a matter of survival. And, and I, I did, and mentally I thought, you know, if one of these things take me out, at least I know I gave it my all. I did every possible thing I could to, to live and to make it happen. Um, and I would be okay with that, but I'm going to keep giving it my all because I can get that call anytime, mm. you know, that, that can just happen anytime. And so that was kind of my mentality, um, and what was going through my head. And so, um, once a month when you're on the transplant list, you have to go and you have to give a blood sample because if they find a potential match, they take your blood sample with their blood sample and they put them together and they see how it reacts and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I remember I had just gone and I did my second month of my blood sample and I just received the new package in the mail to go get um, my next one done for January. And I was like, Oh man, how many of these am I going to have to do before they call me? And it was, it really, when I was least expecting it, I, I, I got a phone call and I looked at the phone number. Somehow I wasn't low. I wasn't going through a hypo. I, I, it was like the right place at the right time. And I answered the phone and the lady on the other end said, are you ready for a new pancreas? <laughs> and I was like, are you serious? I'm so ready. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. Like, what do I need to do? What do I need? And, and, all, and, and, it was, and all she said was, get to the hospital right now. And, um, and, you know, and I did. And, and so, it, it, you know, it, it, that, that in its own was like a crazy story, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. But, 
yeah, like all of all of those little things came together to to save my life from hypoglycemia, mm-hmm. which is which is crazy to think, you know, from going from a perfectly well controlled diabetic, yeah. then something completely non diabetic related changes your whole body, mm-hmm. and then you become an uncontrolled diabetic. It, it's kind. Of, it's, it's, it's kind of scary to think about that because you want to take care of yourself to prevent the long-term complications of your disease. And that was my whole goal in life. I was, you know, I wasn't going to have complications. I wasn't going to let myself go mm-hmm. and, and let my blood sugar be high for too long. And I was going to correct it. And I was going to, I was going to stay up later to watch my blood sugar to make sure that it corrected itself correctly. That was my mindset. And when all of a sudden, within a snap, mm. everything changes. For absolutely nothing that you have done. like And it, for, yeah, from nothing I have done and nothing I can do, mm. right? You have to adapt. And my, ad, and my adaptation was to do the best that I could because I couldn't find anyone else that was going through what I was going through. I couldn't find anyone else that um, was listed for a pancreas only transplant because they do so few of them a year, and um, it was kind of like I, I, I really I was on my own figuring out how to do it, and somehow, some way, I I was meant to be alive, and I am here today to share my story with you. It's honestly, I think the type of person you are, from what you've said, and your mindset has everything to do with the fact that you're here today (laughs) it it has to i mean i can't put i can't put my finger on it but there's something that it's like hey you know if if you wake up in the morning with breath in your lungs there's a purpose for that day and that you know and that's always been my attitude about Mm -hmm. about life is that it's meant to be lived and so many people could have been told what you were told and you know in your financial situation where they sat there like i don't have that money like i don't know anyone that has that money i can't get a loan and and at that point they would have given up they would have thought that's not you know that's my only option but it's it's not an option for me but the fact you were so driven and determined is yeah clearly why you're why you're talking to me today <laughs> yeah and you know and i and, and i feel bad because a lot of people, and that's just me. And I've been through a lot in life. It's not like, oh, you know, I'll, I just had this attitude magically. It, it, it developed because of things I had been through in life. But um, I think if people knew that someone else had been through that and, and had successfully mm-hmm. done it, it would give them a little bit more hope to keep going to make the attempt to Mm -hmm. to do those things and and that's why i think it's so important for me to share my journey because you know um it's unique and and you hear like you know those oh success stories of overcoming the impossible and it's and it really it's like these crazy things and mine is just mine is just diabetes related and when it comes down to it, it it comes down to finances and finding the right doctor and that's anyone with diabetes or a chronic illness and all and um anyone going through a hard time and it applies to everybody and it still applies to me today i don't just because i had a transplant doesn't mean that i'm cured 
I'm no longer insulin dependent, but now I have 31 years of diabetes abuse. I mean, not abuse, but like I have 31 years of diabetes on my body that mm-hmm. it has taken its toll, even though I was well controlled. Mm-hmm. And now I am dependent on a loner organ to keep me alive. I have to take medication that is far more detrimental to the body than insulin or keeping, or keeping um, your blood sugar well controlled. And I have to be on it the rest of my life. And, you know, I've been it's in just like a, a immune suppressant, some things like that, that you have yeah. to make of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. The, yeah, the immunosuppressants. Um, so I don't have a immune system because <laughs> the body fights that it. sounds fun. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've been in rejection four times about a month ago, I, or just around here in the United States, Thanksgiving, about a month ago. I was in the hospital being, being treated with infusions to suppress my immune system further so it would stop fighting the organ. And so it's another lifelong battle. It's like I traded diabetes mm-hmm. for, an, for another disease. It's yeah. just, I'm no longer, the, the insulin dependency is different. Mm-hmm. I don't have the hypoglycemia. Mm-hmm. I now have tons of other side effects other and, yeah. and just crazy things, you know, like one day, cause of, you have to, I have to take a lot of prednisone one day, like my, I'll wake up with this huge puffy face and I'm just like, Oh, who cares? You know, like it bothers me, but I'm like, I don't care. It's keeping me alive yeah, in the grand scheme uh, you know, of things. In, in the grand scheme of things, it, just, it, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, it, the medication is really harsh on the body because like one of the bags I get, it says it's a cancer drug and it, 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 like, you have to be careful. Like it can't touch children oh, and all that kind of stuff. And, and here, you know, and I take six pills of those a day yeah. and I'm just like, you know, but that's what keeps me alive. Mm-hmm. And mentally I feel good and I want to live life physically because of the medication. It can't keep up with me mentally, but I'm able to live a life that I can now enjoy again and be very grateful for. So, well, you know, I think transplants are a good final option to go to. Mm-hmm. A lot of diabetics think, oh, hey, if I only had a pancreas only transplant, I wouldn't have to worry about counting my carbs or worrying about what I you eat. You would have a thousand like other that. things to worry about instead. But, but instead, the, the things you have to worry about are far worse. And I would, in, I would at any moment of the day go back to being a type 1 diabetic over having to have the transplant because it was life it was so, so much easier. So I think it's better to know that just in case, if worst case scenario, that, 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 that the transplant is an option, is a better state of mind to think that that's an only option in the future. And um, I, I just, I want to put my two cents in on that because I, I think it, I get, I get asked that a lot by people. Yeah. I think the amount of um, posts I've seen that are like, all I want for Christmas is a pancreas. <laughs> yeah. You probably don't. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe yeah. just, maybe just should, take care of your yeah. diabetes. <laughs> Exactly. And it's true. And we get it. And we get it. You know, like growing up as a diabetic, it's mm-hmm. always the wish, you know, and people would always tell me, oh, if I could only have trade spots with you and, and they mean it, yeah. but it's, but it's also like, 
I don't really have it that bad. You, you know, yeah. I, I'm controlling my diabetes fine. You know, I, there, are, there are times where it's not that great, but it's not really that bad. And, and so, yes, well, it's fun to, to say, you know, all I want is a pancreas or, you know, or like my body betrayed me and, and all that kind of stuff. Really, it's, it, you know, it's for the meme. It's, it, it's for the thing. But I, but I think that we have it very lucky in our modern um, medicine culture where we have choices of types of insulins, of, you know, insulin pumps, injections, uh, short-acting insulin, long-lacting long insulin, carb counting, and the amount of like just with technology today to be able to control diabetes is it's mechanical mm -hmm. and you're basically told how to do it instead of having to do it all on your own. And I, I think that it, that it's, that it's amazing as well that the online community of diabetics has been able to come together and kind of form this support network. Mm -hmm. Because when I was growing up, there was no such thing. And I think people who are newly diagnosed can find a home where they don't feel isolated or alone and, and things like that. And, and it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, and like, I wouldn't have, I would not have met you had it not been for that kind of stuff. And yeah, I think yeah, that, that is just, and I think that is, that it, that it's really neat that we can all connect online because of that because, you know, because of diabetes, you know, it mm -hmm. brings a lot of people together. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we mentioned before we started recording, like, obviously, you didn't have the internet at three years old. But you know, I was diagnosed at 18. And even then I didn't have the internet. So yeah, it is a different world now. Like I didn't know anyone with type one, I was the you know, I was, I was the only person I knew that had it. Um, and, and your only options are doing what you're told. And you're, you know, you're, you're given limited information from your kind of diabetes team and you just don't have the flexibility that you have now like you know now we realize you can totally live a normal life normal life <laughs> with with diabetes like it is a manageable condition whereas back then it was just right this you know like you were saying it's so regimented yes and you just learn that that's what works because if you're not do if you're not living that regimented life, you start feeling like crap. And the point is, I don't want to feel like crap, and so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it to to get things back on track. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I, I think diabetics are absolute warriors because diabetes takes such a toll on the body. And, and just mentally, you know, it, it messes with you when your blood sugar, when you have a hypo and when your blood sugar is high or you have a hyper and you're just like, it messes with you. But then at the same time, diabetics snap right back into it and they're like, nope, taking care of it. We're good to go. Let me drink some water. Let, yeah. let me take some insulin. Let, let, let Nearly me, just um, died, but let's crack on. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep going. You know, I'm, I'm good to go. And the amount of times that you wake up and, and you're scared to death in a, in a cold sweat because of a, you know, because of a hypo, mm -hmm. it, you know, every diabetic can go on and on about that. And I, and it makes everyone a stronger person because not only do diabetics go through that, they also live a completely 
normal life on top of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it makes us so much stronger of a person and, and it, and it, it pushes us so much further in life and we can, and it, and it shows that so much more can be accomplished. And so while it is a detrimental disease, it is also very beneficial mentally and, and, it, and it, it shows the capabilities that we can have if you know, if, if, if diet with, with um, just with diabetes in general, it, it's mm. pretty, it, to me, it's pretty amazing. And I didn't realize that until I had gone through everything. Um, and when you look back, you're like, Oh, wow. Like that was a lot of work, oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I made it work. And uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Like we're, you know, keep, keep, keep on keeping on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I completely agree that I've had people say to me like, oh, don't you wish you weren't diabetic or like, you know, what, what would you do if someone came and said like they could cure your diabetes and stuff? I was like, I don't know because it's, um, there's actually some positives to being diabetic, like it, in the way that it shaped me as a person. Like I did a blog that was uh, can diabetes be a positive thing or, or something like that, which was quite controversial and, you know, not everyone agreed with it. But for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have learned what I've learned about nutrition. I wouldn't be a personal trainer. I, you know, I, I wouldn't know about my body the way that I do and how to look after it if I wasn't diabetic, because you just, you just take all those things for granted. Yes. And I th and, and and you know and and adding on to your point, it really helps put things in in perspective, um, very very quickly as a diabetic because you see how how fast things can change, and um, it's it's really neat that you like you know you and I and others can realize the positives with the disease, you know, not, not only the negatives, it's focusing on the positive. And instead of being a victim of, a, of, of being a diabetic, you're, you're a victor of it. And I do think, you know, like if there was a cure or don't you wish you weren't a diabetic, you know, I think, I, I think the answer is, well, heck yeah, I do wish I was not a diabetic or, or heck yeah, I wish there was a cure for it. But it's, I think it's more like I am proud of the person that I have become because of it, mm -hmm. right? It, because it's um, you're not a, you're not a victim of it, and I do think that especially people who are diagnosed later in life get the opinion of I'm a victim of it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, why did this happen to me? And you know, as a type one, it, sometimes it just happens. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. You know, no matter what age you are, and um, again, if you connect with the community and stuff like that, you see that people live completely normal lives with diabetes and, and they're successful at it. And so it's not a death sentence anymore. Like it was like, it felt like when we were younger and we were told like, you know, Oh man, if you, um, you have to be careful about what you're eating at all times. And it, it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of nice now with the freedom that, that we're given with the technology and everything like that. It's pretty cool. Um, I have had a few, like since I've been doing diabetic and healthy, I've had a few parents of type ones get in touch 
Um, and is there anything that you would say, obviously you were a child with diabetes. Is there anyone, anything that you could say to parents of children with diabetes, any advice or any, I don't know, but the, <clears throat> the thing seems to be that they get in touch with me and they, of course, they are scared and concerned for their children. And a lot of them are, they feel bad that maybe their children are scared, which is why I, I thought it was really interesting that you were saying you never felt, you know, left out. You never felt that you had an illness. Like, so, so is there anything that you would like to share with parents of children who are type one? Yeah, because I, you know, I get contacted with the same questions as, as well. And my, and my advice is to always be that support system um, for, for the child because you are, you are their lifeline. You're the one making sure that they get the supplies, checking the blood sugar, double checking it, all that kind of stuff. But there's a fine line between being a support system and being an overbearing person that scares them. Yeah. And I think that as long as it's like a supportive guiding hand in the right direction, that is the way to go about it as opposed to saying, nope, you can only do this and you can only do that. And, oh, you have to be on every device known to man and you, you know, and you're a toddler. Here's a CGM. Here's, you know, here's a pump. Here's, well, the technology is good. And I think that a, a, um, a Dexcom or a Libre that you can read while, while your child is sleeping is really great. It also, you know, it, 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 every single time you test the blood or you do an injection or you put that CGM in, it, it, it scars the body. And over time, you run out of space on your body of where you can put it. And so it's one of those things where you have to weigh the cost and benefits of everything that you do. And there is no right answer. It's what's right for you. And just because one parent does one thing doesn't mean that it works the best for you or your child. And so my whole thing is just to be supportive. And especially as the, as the child gets older and starts noticing that, you know, they're different or maybe they can't do things or they had a low and they're embarrassed. It's just about, no, that's nothing to be embarrassed about. The right people know, you know, we were, we were keeping an eye on it. And um, always having um, them feel included and not different is, mm -hmm. I think, is very important. And then the last, and the last thing that I always like to tell parents is that they are the heroes and the warriors to train their kids how to be heroes and warriors because you know they don't they don't quite know mm -hmm. what what what's that like. And if you are there to be supportive and to train them correctly how to, to how to manage diabetes from a young age it's going to last their lifetime because um without the support of parents because you look up to them you, and then even though you don't want to listen to them and even though when i was a kid when i was first diagnosed i would run when i knew i had to take shots <laughs> and put on <laughs> And I would put on pants and long sleeves thinking that, you know, I wouldn't have to get a shot. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's just one of those things that while it breaks your heart to have to do that to your child, 
it's it's for their it's 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 for their betterment and the the quicker you can you understand the body and how it works the, the better off it is in the long run and so it's scary it's not fun but as long as you're on top of it and doing the best you can asking questions you you're you as a parent you are a, a hero and a warrior and you're going to raise an awesome kid that's oh that's always going to appreciate everything that you've done for them because there is no other option Mm -hmm. thank you i think that's um that's awesome advice and definitely yeah definitely beneficial to anyone who is raising a child with um with type one as i said i cut you know i can't even imagine being a mum myself it's one thing for me to have it but I'm such a stress head. I can't imagine if, <laughs> oh, if my son had it. So yeah, you are, you are absolutely right. But those parents are warriors as well. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think, um, we forget too that kids especially are, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Resilient. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what I mean? They can oh my handle. God. I, I a see lot. that from my and my two year old beating his head off things like several times a week, and I'm like, oh, I'd like be in bed for a week if I did that to my head, and he's just like running around with an egg on his head, like you know, he cries for five seconds, and then he's like, oh, let's do it again. <laughs> exactly, and so like it's kind of like we have to you have, it's, you have to kind of take that into consideration that you know as when they're young and as they learn, it's a, it's just it's a, it's a process it's a process and it's trial and error and that's okay. Nothing starts off perfect and it will never be perfect, but you can, you can learn the regimented um, cycle that works and then it will be as, as close to perfect as it can be. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing your incredible story so far. Um, I did just want to do a quick, so we, so we know loads about you now, <laughs> but these are five questions that are absolutely nothing to do with diabetes or anything medical. So I wanted to do Brandon's five faves. Okay. So. Awesome. Okay. All right. <laughs> Number one, favorite animal. Oh, it, I, my favorite animal is a bird and it's an eclectus parrot. A, a what parrot? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an ec- eclectus. What what does that look like? Um, so they're um, they're these really cool parrots that are the most gentle and the and just the most beautiful um, type of bird and parrot and um, the. Oh, I might get myself confused now. I believe the males are green, but they're like a um, translucent green. Mm -hmm. And the females are a translucent red and purple. And um, like, and and they mate for life. They're just, they're just these amazing birds. And for whatever reason, I have this, maybe because it's, I grew up on a chicken ranch. I have this (laughs) affinity for, I have this affinity for birds. And those have always just been my favorite. Oh, that's cool. Well, every day's a school day because I've never heard of that kind of parrot. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh, favorite film? Ooh, um, Uncle Buck. 
Oh, <laughs> classic. <laughs> yeah, that's With a good John one. John Candy. I yeah. just that that is a go-to hilarious. I just I love that movie. <laughs> um, favorite snack. Oh, um, popcorn. Pop. Oh, okay. Yeah, Not bad. Def- Any particular I, flavor? No particular flavor, but I like to. Um, uh, I have a my what I found <laughs> to be the, the the trick for me is to uh, just add extra salt. I don't know why, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's I also run low in salt. I think I just because I think I I drink so much water. But the popcorn, it it's good. It it's it's easy to eat. It's plain. It, it doesn't require much from me. Yeah. and uh, it's just it's it's been my go to snack for quite a while now. Okay. Um, favorite time of year? Oh, definitely spring. When Why? everything kind of just opens up and it's like, oh, it's a whole new world that I get to go and explore <laughs> again. Um, and favorite place? So it could and, be a place and, in the world, like country or, or a specific place. Okay. So... I'll be specific. So I, I am, I love the ocean. I live here in Southern California. I get to see it very often, but my favorite beach is La Jolla beach in San Diego. They have the best ways for surfing. They have the, the cool, they have the, the, the nicest water and some of the, the nicest beaches. And I could live like, that would be my dream place to live and just be on the water every, every day. Wow, I hope you um I hope you end up there one day. <laughs> I do too. Hey, it never hurts to <laughs> Nice <dream>. beach house. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so so much again. Like just such an incredible story. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you so much for having me on and allowing to share my story. I, I, I truly appreciate it. And it was so nice to meet you and connect with you and um and make this happen. So thank you. Ah, oh, no, thank you very much. And I, I absolutely, I can't even say, I think, I know you will be inspiring so many people. That's good. Hey, and uh, let me just tell people, um, if you, if you find me online or whatever, and you have a question for me about any of this stuff, message me. I answer every message. <laughs> just be, you know, be specific you know, it's not rude to ask me like, you know, like, how did, how did this happen? Or, you know, and I, and I had a diabetic service dog and stuff like that. Like ask me oh, about wow. it, any of it. Yeah. I, I am here as a resource because I couldn't find one when yeah. I needed one. And I'm, and I'm, while I can't, while, while I'm able to, I will happily be that resource based on my experiences. So thank you so feel much. Free, I'll put feel, your, feel free to contact me. I'll put your details up when the podcast goes live. I'll make sure we've got your, your details there with it so people can get in touch. Yeah, because it's not, it's not about me. It's about me helping other people. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you so much again. And I hope you have a wonderful day and hopefully an early night tonight. <laughs> Oh yeah. No, it'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah. I really appreciate it, Charlotte. Thank you so much. No worries at all. Thank you. 
That was hands down one of my absolute favourite interviews. Um, I really, really hope everyone enjoyed it. Just such an incredible story and such an inspirational guy. So a massive, massive thank you to Brandon for sharing that with us. Um, I will include a link to Brandon's website and also his Instagram. So anyone who wants to know more about his story or get in touch, you can use those links. As always, thank you so, so much for listening. And until next time, stay happy and stay healthy. This episode has ended, but your journey towards a healthy and happy life continues. Head on over to diabeticandhealthy.com and join the conversation with other diabetics and their families. All the information in this episode is not designed to replace the advice from the health professional team looking after you and your diabetes. Before making any significant lifestyle changes, do consult them with your doctor.